In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Julie Goodall is our guest today on Money Tales. At age 30, Julie learned she wouldn't get a loan because she was young, female, and didn't have a college degree. When Julie heard that verbal slam, she thought, tell me I can't, and I'll show you I can. That was enough to help her decide she was moving forward with transitioning her personal training business to full-fledged gym ownership. Today, Julie is thriving in her current business, Genesis Consulting, where she's a passionate, versatile, MacGyver-like entrepreneur. She's dedicated to helping business owners make sure their business is running at optimum efficiency and they are uniquely positioned to achieve world domination. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three money insights Julie brings to life in this conversation. First, the importance of hearing other people's stories and learning from them. Second, how during her divorce, strong emotions caused Julie to make financial decisions that were not in her best interest. And third, what it was like to hit rock bottom financially and how Julie pulled herself back up. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe to Money Tales. At the end of this interview, Cami and I will discuss some action steps to consider if you're starting a new business. Now, onto our conversation with Julie Goodall. Hey, Money Tales listeners, this is Cami, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy, who I'm going to ask a really important question of. You ready, Sandy? I am so ready. My husband and I are at that point in life with our kids. We think they need to start receiving an allowance because money is meaning to them. They're starting to ask about it. They want to spend. They want to not necessarily save, but that's important to me. Like I want to make sure we give them confidence. We empower them with values, but I don't even know where to begin. And so I'm turning to you for help. So you want them to have confidence. You want them to be able to make good decisions about money. Are you incenting them to do chores or other activities? Or is this just money you're giving to them to use? That's the question. I've heard different perspectives on this. There's just responsibilities you have in the family and you do those. This is different. But I like the idea there's an incentive to keep your room clean, make your bed each morning, set the table at night. So maybe we'll start there. Any rules of thumb? I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I think you just need to be really clear about what your enrollment's objectives are. Talk to the girls about your values and what you're hoping this money will do for them and continue to have the money conversations that I know you're going to have. One thing I'll say is when my husband and I got to the point when we were giving our kids a quote-unquote allowance. We did not tie it to chores. We just felt like they were different activities in our family. 
And rather than calling it an allowance, we started off calling it practice money because we wanted the kids to know that this was money that they were going to have that they could use and practice with. And we were very clear about how they could spend the money. They could spend it on anything that they wanted, but there are certain things that they'd need to spend their money on that we weren't going to spend on. About a year or two into it, they came to us one night over dinner and they said, this isn't practice money. This is real money. And we're actually spending it and we're actually saving it. So we think we should call it experience money. I just share that because if you come up with a name that works and symbolizes what you're trying to do, and if you can make it fun, I think that really helps everybody and will help build the confidence that you're looking to building your girls around money. I think on a different episode, I'm going to talk to you about how do you set the price. (laughs) But for now, let's move to our Money Tales conversation. We have the pleasure of welcoming Julie Goodall to Money Tales podcast. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi, Sandy and Kimmy. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Would you introduce yourself, provide a little background in particular, share a couple pivotal moments that really influenced you? So this is my third business. I own Genesis Consulting, and primarily it's teaching people about money, their bookkeeping. We specialize in helping solopreneurs and small businesses learn about how to use their money, how to spend their money, how to save their money, and how to make strategic business decisions. It's all about empowerment. And there are a team of six of us now. That's pretty amazing. As I mentioned, it's my third business. so I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur at heart. I live in Fairfax, Vermont with my husband and two girls and our rescue pup. I love what I do. I think it came to be through those pivotal moments that you talk about. You know, I grew up in a household where money was fleeting for various reasons. My dad was on disability when I was younger. So when they were both working, obviously two income household, we had more. When he wasn't, it was really tough. And so there was a little bit of feast or famine type situation. And that was my first experience with A, money is really fun to have. And life is really different when you don't have it. You can go from having it to not having it really quickly. I've never lost that lesson, something I hang on to. I would say the next one was starting my first business. I was under 30 and I went to a bank. I had a friend that worked there and she very lovingly, but very clearly told me that nobody would ever lend to me because I was young, I was female, and I was uneducated because I didn't have a college degree. That's what she told you. She did. It was a little hard to hear, but for like a millisecond, because one of my favorite sayings is, tell me I can't, I'll show you I can. So all that did was light my fire. It sparked. And what was a want before was now a need to show people and to prove them wrong. And yep, I'm female. Yep, I'm under 30. Right. I don't have a college degree watch this. Less than a year later, I opened my doors. My goal was before my 30th birthday. And it was two days before we got our certificate of occupancy. So made that happen. And it was just a total game changer in every way, shape and form. And that was my first intro into running a business. What kind of business was it? I opened a gym. So I was a personal trainer at the time. I'd been training out of my home for four years. It just kind of happened organically. Normal people, when they want to lose weight after a baby, they join Weight Watchers or some kind of diet. And me being me, I became a personal trainer because if a little information is good, then more information must be better. (laughs) So I did that and family, friends, community noticed the change and asked what I was doing. And when I told them, they were all too excited to train with me. And then one of them said one day, you should open a gym. 
so we could do it there instead of your living room. And I was like, that would be great, but that costs a lot of money. And that's not a thing that I have right now. But it started the wheels turning. I'm a planner. I always have been. So I did this obnoxiously deep dive in market research, which of course I had no training in. And so it was just how much can I absorb from the internet and people that would talk to me. And I started seeking out other gym owners and trainers and asking them about their origin story and tell me the biggest mistake that you made so that I could not do that. It was total bootstrapping, which was a term I had not heard of before, but I was just so determined to get this done. And I did. Then I learned another really important lesson, which broke me, honestly. Getting there is only half the battle. And during my time, I, I did my due diligence. You know, I met with the small business administration. I had an advisor. I wrote a business plan, 32 pages. And he actually reached out like three years later and asked if he could use it as a sample for other people who came to him because he told me normally at least 80% of the people that come to me with inquiries, when I tell them to do a business plan and they see what's involved, I never see them or hear from them again. And he's like, not only did you do it, but it's one of the best I've ever seen. I was winning at this point. Life was good. I was so excited and so proud. And then the next lesson was what it's like to be an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, especially with a gym. You know, I was getting up at 3 a.m. and I was doing the front desk. I knew everybody's name. Somebody once said that we were the cheers of Jim. You know, they would walk in the door and I would them by name and they're like, how do you know everybody's name? There are 400 members. This is wild. I thought you were going to say that you were pouring beers when they came in before their workout. <laughs> I would still be in business if that were the case. I'm certain of it. People like drinking more than they like exercise. Market research confirmed. It sounds like this is ending in a tough situation. You built something pretty amazing, but what happened? It was incredible. People told me during the process, it's hard, start small, even if you have the money, don't spend it all. Get an existing space. I wanted a new fit up. Get used equipment. I wanted new equipment. I wanted the best of the best because the clientele that I was aiming for were people that weren't comfortable in traditional gyms. People that are extremely fit, sweating and dropping weights and kind of puffed up and walking around and I wanted the stay-at-home moms and the retirees who didn't have a place where they felt comfortable. And so my clientele was different. I'm not going to have them using old, outdated, clunky equipment. They needed the smooth glide of the machines and ergonomically correct and all of that. And the other thing is they told me that personal training every member was not sustainable. And I insisted as part of my business plan, as part of my differentiator, that every person who joined would get a free personal training session. It was very basic but it was how to use the equipment properly because I didn't want people coming in and hurting themselves or not seeing results because they weren't doing it right or pulling muscles, all that stuff. Again, with the clientele, these are not experienced gym goers. I trained every single one of them. I had over 400 total. I trained every single one of them at least once. And that was part of the membership. It was hard at the time. Looking back, I always look back fondly on it. I was running the desk. I was learning how to do my own marketing, my own social media, what software, what payment processors, how do I keep up with memberships and renewals and hiring? I'd never done any of this before. And I had the numbers background. I had the accounting background. So the books were no problem. I had spreadsheets upon spreadsheets and all kinds of stuff. But I had anticipated that because I gave people a good experience, that they would stick around and that my income would grow. And what happened is what happens in all gyms is that summer hits, especially in Vermont, the summers are so short, everybody takes their fitness outside. 
So I went from having hundreds of members to hours and hours with not a single person. I had the lean month and I didn't have a cushion. Didn't know you needed a cushion. I thought you start from the ground and you go up from here. I, I didn't think that you started with a surplus and then could lose it all, which I had learned in childhood, but apparently didn't realize that applied to business. It was just kind of a perfect storm of events. I was getting divorced at the time. So my marriage was ending. I had guilt over ending my marriage. So I gave him the house and everything in it. So I had no house. I walked away with basically a suitcase of clothes. Owning a business is hard. I can almost hear all of the business owners out in the world right now just like nodding. Yes, yes, it is. It's hard. It's isolating. And I think working from like 3, 4 a.m. to, I mean, I was cleaning toilets till 9.30 at night and then heading home. So there was zero time for my family. My daughter, who was four at the time, became sort of our mascot, lived at the gym with me. She greeted the members. I had her wiping down equipment. She was fantastic. Everybody loved her. Cutest little thing. Did she get an allowance? No, she was four. She didn't understand money anyway. She just loved being there. But during that time, my husband and my differences became a little bit more prominent. He was working full time and I was doing the gym, but I wasn't taking a paycheck. So of course, when you add in a young child, money being tight, endless hours at work, there was a lot of factors at play. And this was manifesting into guilt for you. Yeah. Because it was my decision to end the marriage, I was unhappy. Because it was a one-sided decision, I felt like I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain. You know what I mean? Like you commit for life. And I just felt like I was bowing out. It felt awful. Like it really broke my heart. And it's a weird place to be choosing that and also feel terrible about it. So during this, the gym is slowly deteriorating. Still happy. My members love me and vice versa, but the money is running out and that's stressful. And so I'm marketing super heavy. We were doing fundraisers and fun runs. I was just racking my brain for other ways to bring it back. I knew I was missing time with my child. I mean, she was with me, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't quality time focused on her. I certainly wasn't spending time at home. There's just a lot going on. And so making the decision to just give him the house, it was almost like, since I'm doing this thing to you, I'm just going to make sure you're set in this way. So I lost my house. I lost everything in it, all the furniture, all my stuff. I had to move out with my daughter who was four, but I didn't have an income. I had no money. When we decided to split, he was still working full time. And the agreement was that because I was running our gym, it was a joint venture that he would support both of us. But of course, when I said I wanted a divorce, he was like, well, I'm not supporting you. That's not how that works. And so now I have no place to go. And I have a four-year-old and no money. Also during this time, I was two years into a really bad herniated disc. I had back issues. I was scheduled for surgery in like four weeks. So literally within six weeks, I lost my business, any income that I had, my house, everything in it. And I lost 50% custody of my child because even though it was amicable, we agreed we're both great parents. We each take 50-50. Well, now I've got half my time without my girl who I've had since she's been born. What a time. Wow. Yeah. And then having surgery, everything was crumbling. It was rock bottom. It was the rock bottom that people speak of. There was nothing else to fall at that point. I didn't have anything. And that was sobering. That was the pivotal decision that I don't like to or want or trust, no matter how you put it. I don't want to rely on anybody else for my financial security. And I never would again. I am a very girl power, headstrong, independent woman. And I never saw myself as relying on him for income because we made the decision and everything. But having that pulled out from under me and not being able to provide that security for my daughter was not okay. It was crippling for me. I let everything go. It absolutely broke my heart. 
I filed bankruptcy for the business stuff. We were good on the personal front. We continued with the mortgage and the car payments and everything, but all of the business stuff, I was so buried and I didn't know what to do. That was something I never wanted to do. Of course, as you know, it sticks with you. I mean, it's not something that goes away. Your credit is affected and your future for at least seven years. It was a lot. And how are you navigating that process, Julie? You already mentioned that when you were building the gym, you were pouring into research about how to plan, how to market. How did you navigate bankruptcy of the business? I mean, it was hard. We had a wonderful attorney who really walked us through the steps and what our options were and how we could pay as much as we could. Who is we? My husband and I, we owned it together. So the difficulty was we're also navigating a divorce and also the dissolution of our business together and a bankruptcy and getting all of the gym stuff dispersed. Sold off. Yeah. So fortunately, we had leased the equipment and we had been making monthly payments. So we basically just gave it back. They got their equipment back and we had paid up till that point. Apparently I had guilt issues, but you know, I had a lot of guilt about all of this. And so I was like, well, that one I feel okay with at least. I know that we didn't finish the term, but they got their equipment and they can sell it to somebody else. We tried to do that with as much integrity as we could. The same with the divorce. It was incredibly amicable. I've been told by numerous people they've never seen anything like it. We drove to the courthouse together. My husband is dyslexic. And so I read him every page of everything we were signing to make sure that he felt good about things, encouraged him to get somebody else to read it to him because it was kind of a conflict of interest for me to do it. And then we drove to the courthouse together and filed the papers. We drove home together holding hands and I sobbed the whole time. And it was my decision. And he was like, are you okay? I'm like, I will be. This was not what I wanted. And then a couple of weeks later, I had surgery. And with any divorce, no matter how amicable, friends and family choose sides and their stories. And so it was just a really low point for me. So my one takeaway was I'll never have a business again because that broke my heart. People say your business is like your baby. It's like losing your baby. It's awful. I mean, obviously not that bad, but it's- You spent a lot of time and heart and soul in that gym. Yeah, I gave it everything I had. So I regrouped. And as soon as I was recovered physically, I went out and got a job. I wanted to do rewarding work. I love people and I love helping. There was a job where you could just help and get paid for it. That's what I would do. I didn't know that existed at the time, but I became a job developer for people with developmental disabilities. And it was incredible. And the place that I worked is rated one of the best places to work in the state of Vermont. They're phenomenal human beings and an excellent team, but nonprofits can't. I don't want to say they don't, they can't pay well. The money is just not there. And I had a daughter. I wasn't making ends meet. So a friend enlisted me to get my insurance license and sell life insurance and do financial advising. So I went through and got all my licenses and everything, got licensed to sell. And for a while, it was like in 11 states. And we had a beautiful objective and mission. And that was to help these people with their financial future, to educate them and empower them. Feels really good to do that work. It was wonderful. But I was part of a large broker dealer and the financial industry, in my opinion, is pretty broken. There's a lot of recruiting of really young people promising them large commissions and getting them to just sell a product regardless of whether or not it's right for the client. Mm -hmm. That didn't sit right with me or with the gentleman who recruited me. So we decided, let's start our own firm. Because that's a thing that you do. You start a financial advising firm completely independent because the mission was there. So how did you get yourself over the hump that was left over from the gym to get to the point where you were ready to start another business? This commitment that you will not start another business. Yeah. Well, I think it was twofold. 
I didn't realize it at the time. The first business I thought, I'm a personal trainer and I want to help people. And so this is the thing I'm going to do. The second time I realized I might have the entrepreneurial bug. I might like starting businesses. I like the idea of doing something that has not been done before or in a way that's not been done before. Not having the limitations put on me by a traditional employer who's going to tell me where, how, when to do the thing. So it sounds like there's a huge mindset shift. Yeah, there's a little rebel in me. It took me a really long time to realize I'm just not a good employee. I just like to buck the system and do things my way. So we decided to do this. There was a little bit of drama around it because we were very excited. And so when we gave our notices, eight other people walked out with us. So the place we were working was not super excited about this because now 10 of us are leaving. That quickly became the best time of my life because the first time I didn't have a team. I had one employee and a bunch of volunteers helping me work the desk and stuff like that. Now I had a team. I got to nurture them and have team meetings and rile them up and send them out into the world with our beautiful message. And we had so much fun. Because the insurance industry is predominantly male, I was the only female. It was a little like being a den mother at a frat house of like 10 guys. They were young because that's who the industry attracted. And so I felt like a mom, but I'm very maternal. So it worked. And I kind of took them all under my wing and gave them all the leads and had the time of my life. But our model was that we educate and empower people and we never push them into a product that's not right for them. So essentially for 12 months, I gave away financial education and sold very little. And I made $11,000 that year. Wow. And I was a single mom. I refused to let my daughter feel the strain of my decisions with my career. And so I had a very, not an extravagant apartment, but it was safe. It was well lit. It had underground parking and a security system on the door. I didn't want her to feel what it was like to live in poverty. And so I was putting my rent on my credit card. I was putting everything on my credit card. I was pretty upset with myself because now is the second time that I've made some decision that is now impacting not only me, but my child, and I'm not making ends meet. And so there was a whole lot of fool me once, you know, but I've done this twice now. Like, what is my deal? I'm a smart person. I shouldn't be making choices like this. And I racked up about $14,000 in credit card debt that year, which is actually pretty amazing since I only made 11000 It's really not that bad, all things considered. But what was funny is before we left the company that we were at to do this thing, I was the top producer in Vermont. And I had cleared six figures my first year. I won the trip to Hawaii. I won the extended trip. And I walked away from that. When I left, they said, if you leave, the trip is six months out, you don't get to go. And so I walked away from a really good income and a trip of a lifetime and all of this opportunity to be eating ramen noodles and paying my rent on my credit card. You're following your values. I did both times, which made it not okay, but that is definitely the type of person I am. I will turn myself inside out for the mission. Are you talking to anybody about this, putting your expenses on your credit card? No, this is what I was talking to other people about. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew all the what to do, what not to do. I struggled for probably six of those months with, do I give up what I truly love to make money? Because at the time, I really felt like I could either do what I love or make money, but I could not do those simultaneously. And so I held out too long because I really loved what I was doing. 
I was making a difference. I had people say, I've learned more from you in a month than I've learned in 20 years. It was so rewarding, but I couldn't do it anymore. And I had some challenges with my partner. So I once again swore I'd never own another business and certainly never a partnership because that was a different lesson. The business was one thing. The partnership, my initial impression was two is better than one. I've got somebody else in with me doing half the work and putting in half the startup money. It would be better. And that was not the case. So that was another hard lesson learned. The irony of all of it is the business I have now grew organically out of that. So my partner brought in this attorney to do a buy-sell agreement for us. And he introduced me and he said, Mark, this is Julie. She's my right arm. And without missing a beat, this attorney goes, well, I need a right arm. Where can I get a right arm? And I said, well, I made $11,000 this year. Let's talk. So I met with him after the meeting, of course. And I was thinking about just doing some side work. Like, what does he need? And he said, well, I need a lot. My books are a mess. And I was like, oh, books. I've been doing books. That was my first job. I've been doing books since I was 15. I can do that in my sleep. And so we started working together. I absolutely adore this man. He's still a client. I did a little bit of everything. What I realized and what I've learned since is he is like every solopreneur. He is wonderful and passionate about his one thing. Everybody gets in the business to do that one thing, the thing that they're better at than anybody else that they love. So they never have to work a day in their lives. And then if they see some success, they find that more and more of their time is spent doing all of the other stuff that I affectionately refer to as back office noise. They're answering emails, they're scheduling appointments, they're sending invoices, they're following up on unpaid invoices, they're answering the phone, they're trying to grow their business and keep their website up to date and do their marketing and social media. And that's not sustainable for anybody. Now these people are doing their 40 hours with their clients and they're doing all the back office noise on the nights and weekends and they burn out. Or they go out of business because their finances aren't managed properly. That's a very common thing I have learned. That was the case with Mark. He was absolutely phenomenal at what he did, but he would forget to invoice people or forget to record his time. And the funny thing is you don't get paid when you don't send invoices. People don't just hand you cash and go, oh, you must have forgot. Here's a thousand dollars. It doesn't work that way. He had people who had owed him for several years, but he didn't do any collections, so they never paid. So we joke often that the first year he started working with me was the most profitable year he'd ever had. And he'd been doing this for like 30 years. That's a wonderful testimonial. It was wonderful, but only he and I knew that it wasn't because I was magical. It was because I actually invoiced the work that he was doing. It wasn't anything really for me. How did you find your next client after you were Mark's right arm? So Mark is an attorney who does LLCs for small businesses. So he works with solopreneurs all the time, setting them up. There you go. And he said to me one day, you know, you could make a business out of this right arm thing. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I work with business owners and they all have the same struggles and they all don't know what to do with their books and they don't know how to read their financial reports. Almost before I had even really answered, he started making these introductions. I would just get these email introductions. So I would work with them because at the time I was pregnant with my second daughter and it's hard to get a job when you're a pregnant woman. They just see maternity leave coming. I started working with more and more and then word of mouth and then it grew. I was a stay-at-home mom at this point now. It got to a point where I said to my husband, I have enough to make this a full-time gig. Do you have any interest? in being a stay-at-home dad? Would you like the opportunity? Because I think I can support both of us. He was unhappy in his job as an engineer. You could just see what it was doing to him. And so he said, yes. So for a year, he was a stay-at-home dad and I supported a family of four. 
by myself. How did that feel? I mean, I can see it on your face, but for the benefit of listeners who can't see your face at this moment. I have goosebumps even now, and it's my own story. It was a turning point. It was the moment that I've been waiting for. For everything that I had been through and leaning on others for support, I was now the one supporting our family. I was providing. I was putting food on the table. And my husband, it doesn't hurt when the other spouse gets a chance to see how hard it is being a stay-at-home parent. You know, it really leveled us as far as what that's like. And he ended up going back to work and I continued on. Then I just got to a place where it was like, okay, now I'm the person that I typically support. There are not enough hours in the day. And so I can choose to stop taking on new clients or I can build a little and hire somebody part-time. Ultimately, I kept getting these referrals and I was like, darn, I really like this person. I really want to work with them. And so I took on more and then my part-timer tapped out and I did it again and again. And basically that's brought us up to speed. There are now me plus five and we all love what we do. And I get to keep helping these entrepreneurs and solopreneurs get back to doing what they love. And I get to do what I love. I get to silence that back office stuff. What a fantastic story. We were talking to a podcast guest about being a breadwinner mom. Obviously, that felt great for you. But tell us what the conversations were like with your husband. Communication is huge. And for both of us, you know, for him, I knew being a stay-at-home parent was the hardest job I'd ever had in my life. And so it was very much communicate with me if you start to feel overwhelmed or need to tap out because this is a lot. And in order to be the breadwinner, I have to be able to go to do these meetings and do these things. And we have great communication. So it was just a constant check-in, you know, where are you at? Where are you at? And he got to a place where he's like, yep, it's been a year. This is really hard. Can we look into daycare? (laughs) And I was like, absolutely. He wanted to get back into the workforce. Because I get to do what I do every day, money is not a taboo topic in our household, but in my business. I mean, that's the thing that is our biggest differentiator is a lot of numbers people aren't people people. Not always, but there's a lot of people that like numbers because they don't want to deal with people. And I'm very much an extrovert and I love people. Compassion is in my top three values. First thing I do is not really talk to them about money. It's giving them a safe space to take off that armor, to be vulnerable and say, I don't know what I make in my business. I don't know what I spend. I don't know where the money goes. I don't know if I'm profitable, if I'm doing okay. And I'm ashamed because I'm a business owner. I should. And I just stop them right there. And I say, don't shit on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Because I hear it from everybody. Don't do it. You are in good company. Every single person that comes to me starts the conversation with shame and guilt about their money. What is your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? With my daughter. My oldest is now 15. She'll be 16 in May and she's saving for a car. She had her first job last year and her dad and I have agreed whatever she saves up, we'll both meet her and contribute that to her car. And so we have a lot of conversations about saving and about credit cards and how they work. I'm just trying to teach her early so she can avoid all the things that most people trip over with finances as a young adult. Sounds like a perfect conversation. What I appreciated was as we started this conversation about my conversation I'm going to have with my daughters, you talked about your business, how to use, save, and spend money. And I thought, well, that's appropriate. (laughs) And I just want to point out the name of your business, Genesis Consulting. There's meaning in that name. So, Oh, you bet. It was Genesis Fitness too. You got to start at the beginning. 
Very good branding, very good naming. Thank you. It says a lot. <laughs> Julie Goodall, thank you so much for joining us on Money Tales Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Sandy, what amazing person Julie Goodall is. We have spoken with a lot of entrepreneurs on Money Tales, and Julie is a three-time entrepreneur. I'd love to hear, what are three things folks who are starting a business need to think about from your perspective, Sandy? I agree with you. It was really fun talking to Julie, and she sure made talking about money look and seem easy. She had great stories to tell, and I'm impressed by all that she persevered through and the success that she has achieved for herself. The three action steps to consider when starting a business are first, draft a business plan. The second idea is to establish your business structure. And the third idea is to make sure you're tracking your business expenses because there's a lot of benefits associated with that. Let's focus on each of these three ideas develop a business plan. Julie sounds like she's great at putting business plans together. So The gold medal business plan. I know. So call Julie. She can help you out if you need assistance. The idea here is to put in writing all the things that you're planning to do with the business. What's the purpose? What's your why? What goals do you have? How are you going to be doing the work that you're doing? What services are you offering? How are you going to be compensated for those services? What experts or other providers do you need help with? You want to put everything down on paper, so to speak, so that you have a really good tangible plan that you can work from. That's a great tip. It reminds you that business plans are like financial plans. You have to keep revisiting them as facts and circumstances change and always be looking to update and make sure they're addressing the needs of the situation. Good point, Cammie. I'm glad you brought that up. Life ebbs and flows. So you want to adjust your plan over time to make sure it's current, just like your financial plan. The second consideration is around establishing a structure for your business. This might require you to check in with a business attorney to help you figure out what legal form your business should shape. You don't need a legal structure. You could be a sole proprietor or put together a simple partnership if you're doing business with someone else. But oftentimes there are good liability protection reasons for putting your business into a limited liability company, an LLC, or some other structure. It really depends upon the nature of the work that you're doing what your plans for growth are, whether you're a solopreneur or there are other people involved in the business, and also how you're funding the business. Are you funding it by yourself? Are you getting loans from banks? Are you looking to outside investors? The answers to all of those questions will help determine the best business structure for you. And once you land on a business structure, if you do choose to put an LLC together or a C Corp or even an S Corp, these are three formal business structures, then you'll want to have an attorney draft all the paperwork for you. And you'll want to make sure that all of the assets of the business are titled in the name of the formal business entity. The third idea is to keep track of your expenses. And this is, again, where someone like Julie can come in and be very helpful to you. The idea here is to keep track of all of your expenses for the business because you need to know if you're profitable But also there are tax benefits to certain expenses. You can offset your taxable income with business deductions. 
for businesses, most of the expenses would be deductible for purposes of determining the business's taxable income. Keep track of advertising expenses, expenses related to cars, if you're using cars or other transportation as part of what you're doing to conduct the business, insurance costs, legal and professional services. There are some special tax considerations around meals and whether or not they're deductible. So be sure to check in with an accountant about that. The same can be true around travel and lodging. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that the expenses that you're running through the business are actually related to you running the business. Mixing your personal expenses with your business expenses is never a great idea. You're not allowed to deduct personal expenses from your business income. If you're ever audited and you've done that, that could turn into bad news for you. So there's a lot more to learn here, but those are three ideas. A great three. There's a really fantastic article our colleague Michelle Eversman wrote titled Financial Tips for the Self-Employed. Hop on over to Experience website. Our blog is Fathom, and you can find it there. You can search for it. There's a whole list of other items that are important to take into consideration as you start your business. And Fathom is a great place to go for other wealth planning articles. We have a lot of topical information up there. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us on this episode of Money Tales. If the money conversation you heard today inspired you to continue your own money conversation or gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to our website. We have a page called Start a Dialogue. Send a note in, or you can reach Sandy or me at podcasts at Asperient.com. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.